This is the first of a 13-episode series based on the ideas expressed by Francis Schaeffer in his book, True Spirituality, that was originally published in 1971. We'll be following his basic chapter outline and summarizing his key thoughts on living the Christian life within a modern context. It is well worth noting that even though it's been decades since the first publication, the ideas are perfectly relevant to where we are well into the 21st century as this is being recorded. That said, I have adapted the message into what perhaps better fits today's style of communication while staying faithful to the content as set forth by this brilliant philosopher and theologian. It's also worth noting that although the book was written from the standpoint of belief and to those who are seeking to live as followers of Jesus Christ, it offers unique insights into the essentials of the Christian belief system as an integrated life approach harmonizing belief and practice, and therefore can benefit anyone curious about or looking for a deeper understanding of what Christianity is all about. True Spirituality Part 1 the law and the law of love. In a deep examination of the Christian life, one comes into contact with problems of reality around you. It seems that many who would at least affirm the orthodox positions in terms of doctrinal beliefs aligning with what have historically been considered the non-negotiables of Christian belief and practice show little evidence in the things the Bible so clearly says should be the result of Christianity. This can resonate within all of us when we take a good, hard, and candid look into our own lives. Aren't there days or even seasons when, if we're being brutally honest with ourselves, that we aren't resembling what it is we read Jesus and the apostles calling us to in terms of thoughts, words, and actions? So I should be willing to ask myself, is my own reality matching what I read in the New Testament teachings? Am I, many years since my initial profession of faith and baptism, any closer to the ideals Christ and the apostles exemplified and taught? The main contention that is the driving force behind the series is that the tension that emerges when I ask and then answer these questions honestly can be traced to a lack of understanding of what the Bible says about the meaning of the finished work of Christ for my present life. The question we are after here has to do with what the Christian life, true spirituality, really is and how it may be lived out here and now in our modern setting. For starters, it's impossible to even begin living the Christian life or to know anything of true spirituality before one is a Christian. And becoming a Christian isn't through trying to live some sort of quote-unquote Christian life or hoping for a particular religious experience, but by accepting Christ as Savior. Just as all on earth are born in exactly the same way physically, we all came into the world due to the heroic efforts of our mothers in a messy blood, sweat, and tears process, so everyone must become a Christian in exactly the same way as anyone else. Now, are there differing aspects of everyone's stories, the how, when, and where elements? Of course. Some take a rigorously intellectual and or philosophical route. Some embraced the faith as children and continued to grow in it into adulthood, while others may very well have had a powerful experience of the divine, the transcendent. But it all converges on the same thing, and there are no exceptions. 
Jesus claimed exclusivity. He said, no man comes to the Father but through me. That's John chapter 14, verse 6. People are separated from God because of their true moral guilt. God exists. God has a character. God is a holy God. And when a person sins to miss the target in terms of being who and what we were created to be, they have true moral guilt before the God who exists. And we must all admit that we have done so both intentionally and sometimes not in a premeditative way. We are guilty And that guilt is not just some modern concept of guilt feelings, a psychological guilty feeling in a person. It is a true moral guilt before the infinite, personal, holy God. The Bible teaches that only the finished, substitutionary work of Christ upon the cross as the sacrificial Lamb of God in history, in space and time, is enough to remove this guilt. Our true guilt stands between us and God and can be removed only upon the basis of the finished work of Christ plus nothing on our part. We can't do anything to handle, remove, or atone for that guilt. Just as the only basis for the removal of our guilt is the finished work of Christ upon the cross plus nothing, so the only instrument for accepting that finished work is faith. And this faith is not the concept of faith as a leap into the dark, as if it is a solution based on faith in faith. It is believing the specific promises of God that the finished work of Christ was fulfilled in history upon the cross in first century Palestine, a specific time, a specific place, a specific act performed by one man. And at the moment we place our trust in Jesus Christ as Savior, we pass from death to life, from the kingdom of darkness to God's kingdom. That is what Jesus and the apostles refer to as being born again, experiencing the new birth. There is no way to begin the Christian life except through the door of this spiritual birth, any more than there is any other way to begin physical life except through the door of a physical birth. Of course, discounting artificial means such as cloning and other forms that may emerge as something outside the normal flow of how a human enters into the world. But that's just the beginning of a new life. The important thing after being born is to live, both physically and spiritually. There is a new birth, and then there is the Christian life to be lived. Living out the Christian life, true spirituality, is not just a negative not doing of any list of taboos. Even if the list is an excellent list of things to avoid and beware of, it's important to emphasize that the Christian life, or true spirituality, is more than refraining from the naughty things list in some mechanical way. We do not come to true spirituality by merely keeping a list, but neither do we come to it and live it out by rejecting the list, shrugging our shoulders and living a loose life. If we are considering outward things, our behavior, in relation to the Christian life, we are face to face not with some small list, but with the whole Ten Commandments, as well as all of God's other commands. You are also face to face with what we might call the law of love. The fact that I am to love God with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength, and I am to love my neighbor as myself. 
But even this can become somewhat of an issue if we reduce it to just our life in the external world of behavior, as if the Christian life and true spirituality are to be seen as outward. In fact, it is to be seen as inward. Allow me to explain. The climax of the Ten Commandments is the tenth, which is found in Exodus chapter 20, verse 17, which reads, You shall not covet anything that belongs to your neighbor. That's a shorthand version, by the way. This is a completely inward thing. It is fascinating that this is the last commandment God gives us in the Ten Commandments, yet it's the hub of the whole thing. The end of the entire list of commandments is that we arrive at an inward situation. In fact, we break this last commandment before we break any of the others. Anytime we break one of the other commandments of God, it means we have coveted. It also means that anytime we break one of the others, we break this one as well. Let's examine this even further. The Apostle Paul writes about this in a letter to some Christians in Rome, which was around 1,500 years after God issued the Ten Commandments through Moses. In Romans chapter 7, verses 7 through 9, he writes, What shall we say then? Is the law sinful? Certainly not. Nevertheless, I would not have known what sin was had it not been for the law. For I would not have known what coveting really was if the law had not said, You shall not covet. But sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, produced in me every kind of coveting. For apart from the law, sin was dead. Once I was alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin sprang to life and I died. So how far does coveting extend? Is any desire potentially coveting and therefore sinful? The Bible makes clear that this is not the case. So the question then becomes as to when proper desire crosses over into coveting. Desire becomes sin when it fails to include love of God or love of my fellow man. And two practical tests come into view here. First, I am to love God enough to be contented. Second, I am to love my neighbor enough not to envy. Let's go with these one at a time. Being contented does not preclude working hard to improve your position or various aspects of life, but is more concerned with an attitude of thankfulness and submission to the Lord in any given moment or circumstance. Let's go deeper here. Paul writes in that same letter to the Romans, and this is in chapter 1, verse 21, and I quote, For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened, unquote. The central point here is a spirit or mindset of thanklessness, lack of gratitude. Instead of being thankful to God, their thinking was compromised and their hearts were darkened. The beginning of man's rebellion against God was, and still works its way out as, the lack of a thankful heart. The Bible teaches, and the Christian position is, that we live in a personal universe, in the sense that it was created by a personal God and not just some divine, transcendent force or power. God is a person. 
This personal universe is also a supernatural universe in that there has been a battle raging since our ancestors rebelled against God, and this battle plays out in both the seen and the unseen world. This is what we say we believe. We insist upon this over and against the naturalistic slash materialistic belief system that considers the universe as but a closed system of nothing more than the elementary particles and regularities we refer to as laws. If we really believe that the universe is personal and supernatural, then we can be contented and yet fight evil as we consider it as God's right to put us as his children where he judges best in this battle. Now that we have accepted Christ as our Savior, God the Father is our Father. We say that we live in a personal universe created and sustained by God the Father who is our Father. That's a spectacular truth with massive implications, isn't it? By not thinking that through and doing our best to engage our days in that light, we are at risk of having less than a trusting attitude about our circumstances, which is a denial of what we say we believe. If we lack contentment and struggle to walk in a spirit of gratitude, we are not loving God as we should, and what are proper desires for things having to do with improving ourselves and our positions can devolve into coveting against God. This all originates deep within. It is in the realm of our inner selves. This inward area is the first place true spirituality is lost. Our outward lives, what we do and say in the world, is always just a result of what happens inwardly. For the Christian, this doesn't condemn us since we, by trusting Jesus as Savior, have been brought into a relationship with God on the basis of Christ's finished work on the cross. The second test has to do with whether or not we are loving our neighbors enough not to envy them and their possessions, achievements, reputations, circumstances, etc. To envy and desire what belongs to them, which is an inward situation, means that I am not loving that person as I should. And coveting as an inner lack of love toward others soon tends to spill over into the external world of speech and behavior. All of this indicates that the inward area is the first battleground of the Christian life of true spirituality. Inner attitudes, mindsets, and matters of the heart result in outward acts. The internal is basic. The external is always merely the result. This truth is critical to take hold of as our starting place in the effort to live out the Christian life right here, right now. We'll never be perfect in this life, but the possibility exists that we can walk more closely in accordance with what Jesus and the apostles taught and exemplified as documented in the biblical writings. Let's summarize what we've covered. The true Christian life, true spirituality, does not just mean that we have been born again, are justified, and are going to heaven. It must begin there, but it means much more than that. It is not just a desire to get rid of taboos in order to live an easier and looser life. 
Our desire must be for something deeper, and it starts with what the Bible presents as God's prescriptions for living that include the whole of the Ten Commandments and the law of love. Love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. True spirituality, the true Christian life, is not just outward, but it is inward. It is not to covet against God and other people. And finally, true spirituality is a positive approach to doing things as opposed to the negative of not doing certain things. And this positivity begins with an inward reality that then manifests in outward results. The positive inward reality of the new birth and presence of the Spirit of God within a person who has accepted Christ as Savior flows into the external world of behavior and speech. We are not just dead to certain things, but we are alive to a God we love and are in relationship with Him as a person who is there. And we are to love others to be alive to others and be in communication with them on a true personal level as fellow image bearers of God. This is true spirituality.